Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are my internet pals, Vince and Zach. And we're going to be talking about the DC Comics released on May 8th, 2019. But first, we have some news to report. Uh, it came out on Sunday, an odd day for comic news to break, but came out on Sunday that Patrick Leeson, recently of Young Justice and Superman, was going to be jumping ship over to Marvel as an exclusive artist. I don't remember how long the exclusive deal was for. They usually don't announce that. They just say, you know, he signed an exclusive agreement. Um, I think we can all agree this is bad for DC just because Gleason is such a good artist. But, Zach, you said you had some thoughts about this, so why don't you start us off here? Well, so it's not like big thoughts or anything, but... You know, just for the last year or so, DC's really been poaching Marvel really hard. You know, it started with Bendis, and then, um, you know, they've gotten a lot of people close to Bendis. You know, Fraction is coming, is working with DC. They got Kelly Sue. They got, um, is it, is Brubaker doing the Lois Lane? Is that right? No, uh, Rucka. It is Rucka. Okay. For some reason. Okay. Yeah. Rucka. Which Rucka has been around, but. Um, Steve Lieber. And then, like. Huh? Steve Lieber coming over. Lieber. Yeah. And now David Marquez coming over. Um, Plus all the Jinx World folks. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Malieve, um, Oming, um, all the. Yeah, exactly. So there's kind of been this, like, deluge of, of big, prominent Marvel creators coming to DC. Um, and so it makes sense that Marvel would be actively maybe trying to poach from DC then a little bit. And Gleason is interestingly not the first person I would have thought of for them to do, to try to grab. And it makes me almost think that maybe this is like a Bendis situation where Gleason has just been with DC so long that he wants something different and maybe it's not a, a full on poach, but, um, it, it kind of makes me wonder if we're going to start seeing more of this sort of thing and if we're going to start seeing kind of an exclusivity war type situation between Marvel and DC again. Well, I, I heard some whispers that this was about Gleason was co-writing Superman and really wanted to do more writing, like, you know, stuff where he was writing and drawing. And that when Bendis came in, and was taking over the super titles, that sort of was no longer in the cards for him. And I wonder how much of it is his desire to write more. And if Marvel heard that, you know, Marvel doesn't have as much marquee talent as it has in the last, you know, four or five years. And so I right. think they could probably sell Gleason on, oh, we'll give you a book you can write and draw for however long you want to. And, you know, I think that's probably a smart move for Marvel at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's it's interesting that they're starting him off on amazing with Nick Spencer. Yes, uh, Vince, but yeah, maybe he'll get his own thing. Vince, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, what, what do you think about all this? Uh, I think there's, yeah, I th I think you can see it happening. I think. You know, have we have we heard anything about those guys who came over with Bendis being exclusive, or or they're just 
coming and doing some DC stuff for a while, you know? I, I know there's a lot of swapping going on, but I'm not I'm not sure how much of it we've heard is exclusive. Yeah, I definitely don't think like Fraction or or Rucker or anyone has done anything. I I think Kelly Sue is exclusive though. Is that I right? I believe she is, yes. Um I could be wrong about that though, but I think so. Sure. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, Part of me keeps thinking that we're going to see the next, like, big reboot from either of these companies, too, or relaunch. And and that that hasn't really happened, even with C.B. Cebulski. Ooh. You know, so I... What? Who are you talking about? Japanese name. Oh, Akira Yoshida. Oh, the hot young writer at Marvel. Okay, yeah. Yeah, now you know, yes. Okay. Everybody's always talking about that. Akira Yoshida. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they can't get enough of that. No. Akira Yoshida. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think Zach, you're on to something. I don't necessarily think I'm on to something, but I, I do think that Marvel is probably, I mean, like you said, they don't have very much quote unquote marquee talent um, these days. And and even like Gleason is a fantastic artist, but he's not even like a big name among DC necessarily either. Um, so he's, he's underappreciated for sure. He's yeah. definitely underappreciated, but I don't think that, I don't think that um, he has like, necessarily the the name recognition of some of the the other creators you know and i don't mean that to be a slight it's just the nature of the industry i feel like he's the type of guy who might go over there and start drawing rave reviews because people just didn't think of him as anything but like a guy in the dc bullpen or whatever you know he's gonna come and do something crazy and everyone's gonna suddenly realize how great he's been this whole time Mm mm-hmm I'm trying to think of someone that's happened to recently, but that like almost like Jorge Jimenez, right? Where he yeah. went from a guy who was doing like solid work to all of a sudden being a superstar. Even though Gleason's considerably older than he is and has been doing it far longer. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But no, I I think it. I mean, good for him if he's like going to get to do more of his thing. Um, and. Yeah, Marvel needs a little. They need to. They need to spice up their life a little bit. Aside from like Al Ewing, Mark Wade, Nick Spencer, Jason Aaron, like who uh-huh. who, who are the other big talents that are that are known for their Marvel stuff right now? I mean that like. Tanahasi Coates is still writing for yes, them. Yeah. Um, Saladin. Oh, Saladin. Yeah, yeah. He's is, good. Is doing a lot. Um, they see that's the thing. A lot of the bigger Marvel writers these days have been kind of like more on the either like novelist or um, like indie guys. Don writers. Cates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Don. Okay, yeah, Donny Cates is a big one. Yeah, I feel like those. Are, I feel like um, they have a lot of really good writers and and some good artists too. But I feel like they don't have very many people that 
whose name sells a book outside of like the very niche comics audience. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, fairly although I well. don't know, like Coates is like arguably like the biggest name. I feel. I mean, maybe just that's like in the circles that I'm in, but like that was a pretty big get for them. Sure, but I think um, that he's far more known as a not as, as a writer than as a comics writer. Right. Right. Well, and same with like Rainbow Roll, Roll, Rowell. Rowell. I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure. Is it Raoul? Yeah, I think it's like, Raoul, yeah, yeah. Th- there was that period of time where they started picking up a lot of big name prose talent, um, which got a lot of attention at the beginning. But now it's like no one is really. I mean, sadly, like no one's really talking about the Black Panther or Captain America comics or. And yeah, I don't know. No one, and maybe that's just I don't have my finger on the pulse of uh, superhero comics, especially like Marvel comics now. Maybe people are talking about them, and I just don't know it. Yeah, I don't know. We should ask Make Mind Multiversity what they think. We should. That's a good idea. Um, but regardless, fare thee well, Pat Gleason. We shall miss your excellent line work. He'll be back. I I really think the days of somebody working as long as like a Bendis did at one company, it, it's not going to happen anymore. Or maybe when is well, Snyder going to jump ship? Uh, right after Jeff Johns does. Okay. I actually think Jeff Johns to Marvel is a a thing that's going to happen sooner than later. Do you really? I do because I think that he's. He's somewhat. Uh, he's some. I don't want to say he's failed. That that's that's wrong for him. The the projects that he's been involved with at DC have not been very successful in terms of like the um, the live action stuff. You know, like the the film and TV stuff he's done. Although I think he had a pretty heavy hand in Shazam, which has done very well. But like you know, he was really he was really integral into Titans. And that didn't do so well. And then he didn't have much to do with Doom Patrol, and that did very well. It just seems like he hasn't really had the touch on well, those Well, I don't projects. know. I mean, what's your definition of doing well? Just because, like, like how do we know Titans is not successful for them as a... Oh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the bar is pretty low for success. I think all those shows are probably successful because they hit whatever whatever subscriber I number I, they need. I don't know if it is, though. Like, I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but... Um, did you guys see that Swamp Thing got its episode count cut and it's already essentially like not yeah. going to go past the first season? Yeah, right. Um, and it like doesn't come out for a while. And the fact that they're adding on all of these free comics when they said they weren't going to, it really makes me think that that app is not doing well. Well, the, the rumor that, that is going out there is that Warner Brothers wants to launch their own streaming app and they mm-hmm. might want to take some of the DC stuff over to that. And so they're trying to transition the app into more of a comics app whereas it was supposed to be a comics and multimedia app mm-hmm. um, which I'm mm-hmm. fine with I mean I, I'm in it for the comics more than anything else you know for yeah definitely that's fine by me um, but no I mean I, what I was saying about John's is I just feel like you know supposedly his Stargirl show show is already in trouble 
uh, production-wise, you know, and it just makes sense to me that it's at a certain point. I mean, have you have we heard anything about the Killing Zone, his imprint no. in months? Oh, God, no, you know, so I I just feel like eventually they're gonna realize it's just better to cut ties, and then he'll go over to Marvel, and if Marvel's smart, they'll give him the keys to. They'll let him write uh, Ant Man, and we'll get. <laughs> Or Cunnilingus. <laughs> what I was going to say is that I feel like you got to let Jeff Johns be the guy who rehabilitates broken characters. Like mm-hmm. what he did with the Green Lantern books, you know? Like, give right. him give him the X books. At, well, I guess Hickman has those now. Give him whatever isn't working very well and let him go nuts. Uh, Man, you know, you know how much Marvel would be trouncing DC when, when that happens? I, it's it's not even gonna be fun. yes because Mar. Think about it. Marvel beats DC pretty much every okay, month. Okay, yeah, in yeah. market share right now, and they don't. Marvel, to my eyes, doesn't have the name like like Brian was saying the name recognition of like the Snyder's and some of the artists that that are working over at DC. You know, um. I feel like, you know, I don't know what's going on over at Marvel. They don't have, like, a strong identity or anything to hang their hat on other than the live-action stuff right now. And yet they trounce in sales every single month. If Jeff Johns goes over there, it's going to be it's gonna be a slaughter, really. Well, it's the equivalent of Bendis coming to D.C. No, it's I – think, I think the shine is, is far more off of Bendis – in his transition than, than it would be Jeff Johns going the other way. Well, okay. See, I, I, I don't feel like Johns is nearly as much of a, a name as he was even like I, five years ago. I think that's because his interests are elsewhere. But if you're talking about a guy who's going to be on the outs at Warner's and DC, like now he's back exclusively in comics again, that's, that's a whole different ball game. The only reason Jeff Johns isn't a name is because of the live action stuff. Yeah. But what I was going to say is I feel like while the, while the shine might've been off Bendis before he jumped, it was not because Bendis, we might think Bendis's quality dipped, but in terms of like sales, Bendis wasn't a failure when he left. I feel like John's hasn't done a monthly book. I mean, Shazam is the first monthly book he's done since Justice, Justice League. League. And yeah. it's five issues in, and it's been delayed. At least three of those issues have been delayed. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if he can... I, I just, you know, I think I think he's more unproven at this point in his career than uh, I if what If and when it happens, just watch. Like, once he's, once he's done with all the live action stuff, and he goes over and writes, you know, let's say he writes like two or three books. They're going to kill it. I mean, with Marvel's marketing behind him and the fact that he'll be focusing on comics again, it's um, it's going to be a bloodbath. I'll I'll say it right now. If if Johns goes to Marvel, we should. We should make us the multiversity Marvel podcast and we'll just have <laughs> two Marvel podcasts and no DC podcast. <laughs> I don't agree with, with to that. <laughs> Neither do I. 
<laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, War of the Realms is good right now, guys. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I I am not opposed to Marvel being good. I just don't have enough. I don't have enough time to read the DC comics I'm supposed to read, let alone uh, <laughs> all this Marvel stuff as well. Um, but shall we get into those DC comics I'm supposed to read? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get into it. Let's talk about Batman and the Outsiders, number one, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by Dexter Soy. Vince, I want you to share with our listeners the thing you texted us about this book that I had totally forgotten about. <sighs> you always ask me to do this, and I don't have it like ready. To, is, it, it, is it the thing about it being uh, being an X uh, New Age of Heroes book? Yes, yeah, just how you <laughs> said, like, it's so clear this was supposed to be a New Age of Heroes book, and I totally forgot that was part of it. Yeah, yes, totally it, couldn't be more, it couldn't be more, I mean, like, right off the bat, uh, it's pretty obvious. And I, I kind of, like, rocked back in my seat and was like ah well played dc <laughs> this was supposed to be one of your marvel ripoffs um but it's good it's a very good version of that what was the marvel book you felt this was ripping off oh it's x-men of course it is it's obviously x-men yeah, yeah. so <laughs> but it's interesting how he does it because like all these other books were essentially pitches using new characters or uh with the you know with the exception of like the terrifics the terrifics but that you know those were established characters but it was obviously built for them to be the fantastic four right mm -hmm. here you're taking a team that was assembled in detective comics outside of any of the uh dark metal whatever the hell it was called stuff um and so the team itself is not based on a Marvel property or on the X-Men. The team itself is very much a Bat Family team, but it seems like their their enemies and their allies in this book are going to be very much X-Men uh, versions of X-Men characters, basically, well, right? Batman is essentially Professor X in this book. I guess, yeah. I mean, if you look at it that way too, like even though he's not, he is not lording over the the characters that we are supposed to identify as mutants. There is kind of a Professor X, uh, Cyclops relationship going on between him and, yeah, I guess so. That's exactly what I what I had seen. Just like you know, here's the guy. He's not gonna, you know, Black Lightning is the field commander. He's gonna be the guy, you know, sort of training the younger the younger characters in the way that Cyclops was always kind of always, you know, in that, in that role. And Batman is professor X who sort of sends them on their way, but doesn't, doesn't go out in the field all the time. Yeah. But then you have like, like right off the bat in this comic, um, you see, uh, this new character, Sophia Ramos and her dad driving and they get, they end up in the middle of this mutant accident on the highway, right? And the character who looks kind of like Bishop, like if you compare him to an X-Men character, he's Bishop. But his name is Ishmael. There's a there's a mutant named Ahab over at Marvel. So, like, there's your parallel right there. I, Later, I mean, this guy is basically Cable. At the end? 
Yeah. Yeah, Caliber is Cable. Like, to- he's from the future. It's totally Cable. Uh, Sofia Ramos herself is kind of like a rogue slash Wolverine. You know, something like that. Healing factor. Uh, absorbs powers. It absorbs pain uh, for power. Um the ARC program, which is this like billionaires creating their own mutants, essentially, is based. I mean, there's been dozens of those, right? Like there, that's been an X Men trope that there that there's some rival corporation either trying to gather up mutants or create their own, and the X Men inevitably oppose them. Like in the movies, it was Essex Corp. If you remember that, uh, and then this character right in the middle named Saint John. That the team like first goes up against. That's clearly Juggernaut. <laughs> oh, that was that was the most obvious one of the bunch. It was Juggernaut with Cable's humongous gun for some <laughs> reason. So, but it's all so much fun, you know. It's not like like if this were in the New Age of Heroes books, it would easily be in the top three of all of those books. I think as far as and and I'll say this: if the New Age of Heroes was all about focusing on like DC's quote unquote star artists. I don't know if Dexter Soy is that, but Dexter Soy is not that far off from, uh, who's the one that did sideways. Um, Oh, um, Rock Rock yeah, rock. Yeah. Not that far off from Rockefort, you know, I, I, Dexter Soy has has bided his time in the industry long enough, and and I think has built up enough cred that like he could have served the same function with this book. But this is clear. But at this point, it's clearly Brian Hills. Like he is so good, you guys. Vince, I'm over here biding my tongue because I think I have the. Uh... 100% opposite estimation of this book that you, are you do. Are you serious? Yeah. You, I, you don't like I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it very much. Oh my god. I thought it was just okay at best. Brian, and I thought, you, that, I, thought I, I thought that the art was uh, maybe, I thought, yeah, this does look like a Young Heroes book. It looks, or not Young Heroes, a, a New Age of Heroes book. It kind of looks a little bit like, um, a cross between um, uh, don't say the uh, bad immortal Fultan. immortal Brim, brimstone and immortal men. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I did not think that this was Soy's best work. I didn't. I don't think this looks as good as his stuff in Red Hood or even like his earlier work on Captain Marvel and stuff. I thought this looked kind of um. generic's not the word I'm looking for, but it's the best thing that I can think of, or it, it gets my point across, I guess. This is not very distinctive. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I did not, I didn't think that this was great. Brian? Um, what am I going to say? You're going to say as usual. <laughs> yes. I fall somewhere in between you two. Um, I liked this a lot more than Zach did, but I didn't like it as much as Vince did. I thought that this first issue gave you a very clear indication of the team dynamics. Which I totally buy. 
Yes, agreed. Yeah, I think that this this very much set up everybody in the book to have a role on the team that felt plausible and important for the team. I think that it did a reasonably good job at setting up a mandate for this book because there really wasn't like we knew that Batman wanted Black Lightning to lead this team and it was because he was a teacher but there wasn't much more to it than that there was really no sort of like inciting incident that led to this book coming about and while this issue still didn't give sort of an overall thesis statement for the type of book it's going to be I think it did a good enough job of giving us an idea of just what the what the tone of the book's going to be month to month. Would you agree with that, Vince? Yeah, I think so. Sure. Yeah. You know, if, if you guys will recall, I also did not care for the detective comic arc either. Oh, that's right. That's true. I really like that arc. Um, interesting. Okay. I also, I will say that in Zach's defense, I don't think this is Dexter Soy's best art at all. I think this is probably my least favorite Dexter Soy art I've seen so far. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not. I think his Red Hood stuff was way better than this. And I like his Captain Marvel stuff better than this. Um, I am really interested to see where the Bruce... And uh, I'm interested to see sort of Bruce's role in this team because you know it's. I I think we had maybe said this earlier, but that like they could never have just called this book Outlaws at this point. It would have to be, I mean, Outsiders rather. It would have to be Batman and the Outsiders. That's how you sell a book like this, right? You need yeah. to have Batman in the title. But I wonder how much of an of an ongoing concern Bruce is going to be in this title, or if he's going to be you know, more or less in that Professor X in the background, send them on their missions kind of role. Yeah. I mean, even if he is just Professor X, he Professor X is in or was, you know, back in the day in plenty of X-Men, you know, he was always there. So sure. Yeah. I just think Brian Hill is so good. I know, I know he said he's like quitting comics or whatever, yeah. <laughs> which which he can do whatever he wants with his life, and I'll I'll try to follow him wherever he goes. But um, he's just so good at writing for the comic, and I think it was it was a tough task to put this team together, make it feel credible, or or like it had a purpose, and mix in all the X Men style shit, which was clearly. Clearly, that was something of a mandate in some ways from this New Age of Heroes stuff. And I think he just, he mixes it all together so well. And I love the little character moments. I love Katana calling uh, Black Lightning uh, Ryan. Yeah. And I I almost wish that wasn't explained at, you know, at the, the, one po- the one point where he goes. Uh, like, what does that mean? Why, why do you call me that? You know, it's like, yeah. I, I, I kind of wish they would have let people like. Google that on their own or, or, or draw upon, you know, what they've seen in other stories to, to figure out that what she was saying. But, uh, but just little moments like that, the fight between the two of them, the, the spar, I should say the stuff between Bruce and, and Jefferson, as far as like, why am I running this team? I don't, I don't know that I trust you, et cetera, et cetera. All like, 
that's none of that is a unique idea, but Brian Hill just finds like the most credible way to write all that stuff. I think uh, he, I, oh man, I, I see what you're saying about the art. I can agree that it's not Dexter Soy's best work, um, but I, I still like it. But I just think, I just think Hill is such a good writer to tie all this stuff together in a way that makes sense. So the, the overall question I was left with after reading this was, is this book going to, is it serving the same purpose it was supposed to serve when it was supposed to come out six months ago? Or however long ago it was. I want to say it was January it was supposed to come out. And here it is in May and it's finally out. Or is the book going to, like, is it, are, are we just going to get stories but they're, months later or has the landscape shifted enough that it needed to facilitate some rewrites and new stories well for the life of me i can't figure out why this issue couldn't have come out six months i mean aside from creative stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to Mm -hmm. there's nothing in this image that's or in this uh issue that says like Oh yeah, they could not have released this six months ago because it would have spoiled something, or because because it didn't make sense in that landscape. But now, you know, after such and such an issue of Heroes in Crisis, let's say, now it makes sense. You know, there's nothing like that that is obvious to me. So, unless they decided they wanted to get, unless they decided they wanted to get away from the New Age of Heroes window. And make this its own thing, even though it was clearly still meant to be a part of that. To just not have the branding on it anymore. Do you, do you think that makes sense? Yeah, I, I, now that we're talking about this, I'm struggling to remember. Was it branded specifically as New Age of Heroes? Or no, just but it, no, but it that was coming... Because of, I don't because think of like it was... the, the Dark Matter stuff that's going on with Duke and all of that. I don't think it was... Yeah. I don't think it was branded as New Age of Heroes, but it was specifically coming. I, like, I'm fairly certain when it was announced, it was like spinning out of Dark Knight's Metal. I remember this was like hinted at at the sale. I think what was it WonderCon when they announced all the New Justice stuff, like the Titans and uh, Teen Titans. And yeah, Justice it was League. almost actually more. It was like the secret other book that they couldn't talk about yes um yeah it almost was kind of like the counterpart in a way to titans sort of yeah i'm really interested to see what happens with this book because if brian hill is indeed getting out of the comics game i wonder if this book will be short-lived or if he wrote enough scripts that it'll go on for over a year or whatever, or if someone else will come in. I'm I'm just I'm ever fascinated by the way that DC deals with these delays. Because it seems like like you said, Vince, there's nothing about this issue that seems particularly tied to the moment now. Maybe issue two has that moment, you know. Um but yeah, it's fascinating. Anything else about uh Batman and the Outsiders? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Detective Comics number 1003, 
written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Brad Walker. Vince, you, you've kind of been, been the, the show captain the last few weeks behind the scenes, sort of helping us figure out what books to talk about each week. And, and <laughs> well, that's, it, that's only because I read them first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but you instantly said we got to talk about this issue of tech. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I just want to know, like, what was it about this issue that you felt like, yes, we definitely got to talk about this? Well, it's simply the Arkham Knight reveal. Okay. How do we feel about this? So should we just drop a spoiler warning right here and say we're going to talk about who the Arkham Knight is if you haven't read this and you don't want to be spoiled? Tune out. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast in the first place. That is very true. Uh, you should be whether, whether, you read, whether you read the books or exactly. not, what are you, what are spend, you listening to this for? <laughs> spend time with your families and loved ones. Get a hobby. Just leave us alone. No, I'm kidding. We love you. Um, so... What is it about that reveal, or what did that reveal do for you, Vince? Um, it was kind of a big wet fart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reason why I wanted to talk about it was, um, I don't know if you guys saw the CBR exclusive from last week, where they suggested that it could have been the. Future Tim, the like the uh, Titans of Tomorrow, Tim Drake coming mm-hmm. back and being okay. the Arkham Knight. I don't know. Did you see that? I did not. I, I did, and that would have been much better than this. Yeah. Yep. So, so that was their suggestion. And if you read the column, it it makes a little sense, but it also kind of doesn't because they they stretch to connect him to these Knights of the Sun or whatever they are with a little bit of wordplay that doesn't. The wordplay makes sense, but thematically and like logically, it really doesn't make sense that it would have been him. You're right; the reveal would have been more. It would have been more interesting, and it would have been more interesting going forward. It would have been a thing instead of a nothing. Exactly. Yeah. But the reason I'm bringing that that CBR exclusive up is because when Arkham Knight first uh, removes her helmet, I thought. Oh, that's like future Steph Brown. I had the same thought. You thought the same thing? Yep. And I and then I thought that's even better than what CBR because think about it. It it would be it would be too soon and it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to bring that version of Tim Drake back in a different way to oppose Batman. But in Especially Detective- because he was kind of redeemed in that last yes. arc too. Um yes. But if you think about where Steph Brown was mentally during uh, Tynion's Detective Comics run, where she kind of fell out from the family because she disagreed with the way Batman was doing things, would it not have made sense for there to be like an alternate future, uh, quote-unquote, Titans of Tomorrow version of Steph Brown, who's now the the Arkham Knight? So I saw that, and for like, a, for like you know, half of an issue, I was like, oh, this is really interesting now. And then you get to the last page, and you realize, oh, it's just, you know, the dickhead uh, Arkham Doctor's daughter. <laughs> it's a character and, you don't know, but you know her last name, so maybe you care? Right, and so that's why she's Arkham Knight. <laughs> that's the connection. Um, so, yeah, it, it it was a big wet fart to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, and even the way that the reveal happened, where it's just, it's not even, it's not paced very well. It's just... It's just there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it it was weird. The one thing I liked about it was 
Yeah, it makes no sense to like reveal her as this as this blonde uh, lady, and then and then for you to be like, okay, I either I'm thinking that's Steph Brown or I have no idea who that is, but it's re- the reveal is presented as if you're supposed to realize that it's somebody, you know, or maybe you're just supposed to be surprised that it's a woman, which is not. <laughs> I don't think that that's, you know, that why should that be a surprise, you know. Yeah. I do want to. I do want to talk about that that scene, where uh, Bruce and Damien are talking, and Bruce says like, "What was she? he basically said like, you know, what was she like?" And Damien's like, "How did you know it's a her?" And Bruce never really answers, and it's just supposed to imply like he dug dim curves. Like, well, he he doesn't he answer by like the way that she her movements. Yeah, he but, likes the way she moves. Yeah, but he doesn't. He never says like. He never goes any further than that. He just says, like, you know. Okay. Basically, I love to watch her walk away, you know. Uh, okay, just, uh, Brian. I think Brian's the pervert here. No, guys. no. It just, it just struck me as, like, a very, like, if Bruce is the world's greatest detective, he should have been able to articulate why he yeah. why he found something out as opposed to just, like, I know a lady when I see one. Well, Damien, her hips don't lie. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Damien's not old enough to know what that know about that yet (laughs) but the one the one thing i liked about it was i liked the scene where damien's doodling the sketch of Mm -hmm. her because i like i hope that this is i hope this is something that goes with his character that he's becoming good at art or good at drawing you know uh sorry i sneezed there um uh, thanks i muted so nobody heard it hopefully but um I like that as a little character beat for Damien. I like that he has this little, you know, hobby or skill that to focus on, you know? That um, struck me as a very Batman 66 thing in a good way. Yes. Like, how in Batman 66, things would just conveniently come up for no reason. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you didn't know that Alfred was a world-class swimmer whenever, you know, just, like, just things that would <laughs> pop up all the time, you know? And so that, that felt yeah. very Batman 66 to me in a good way. In a good way, in a, like a, in a very credible, like serious way, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like that was the that was the one part I liked, but the reveal, ah, it was a big bowl of nothing. Zach, anything different to say about it? Uh, no, no. Um, other than maybe maybe um, Cal Rayner and Damien can write. Do it. Do a comic book or or something together. Well, that would be, be fun. Yeah. They haven't done Kyle Rayner being an artist in a long time. I feel like to their detriment. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, they'd rather talk about how John Stewart is an architect and a soldier. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I. Uh, we should say Brad Walker's art is continually good. Or maybe not. I don't know. Not, mostly, mostly. I, I think mostly. I think so. I think it's good. I, th- I think he's a good artist. Uh, I think it's sufficiently creepy. Like I think that weird ritual with Doctor Phosphorus at the end of the issue. Um, you know, I, I don't really care what's going on in this book, but uh, Brad Walker's art was sufficiently creepy during that scene, and and so there was something of interest to to look at. You know. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. 
Yeah. I just happen to like his, I happen to be a fan of his art. So, you know, I, I think that it makes the book read a little bit better than if it was written, than it was illustrated by somebody, you know, who, who I didn't particularly care for. He finds a way of making little moments interesting. Like Vince was saying. But yeah, anything else to add about uh, tech? No. Well, then let's move okay. over to Hawkman number 12, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Brian Hitch. This was clearly meant to be the finale of the series. <laughs> and then it was picked up for, for more, and so that's that's not a bad thing. But this had the this had the feel of a series finale written all over it. Uh, the final battle with the Deathbringers. We get um well, there's one thing in particular I want to talk about in a little while. But Zach, you were quiet that last time. Tell us what'd you think of Hawkman number twelve? I was I was fine with the Hawkman. Um there were some really fun moments actually that I did and I, I liked how a lot of the Hawkmen got their own little moment to shine you know you had the the um not world forger whatever he really is the giant demon hawk uh doing his thing the kryptonian hawkman got to do some some heat vision with that distinctive brian hitch like halo thing that he would always do for apollo Mm -hmm. um which was cool um I mean, I thought that the ending of this whole thing felt a little rushed. It, it it was very much like the power of friendship type thing, which, I mean, <laughs> it would be hypocritical of me to uh, deride that. But, um, I, I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I'm kind of glad that we're finished with this, though, and can move on to whatever's going to come next. Vince, what say you? Yeah, I well, first of all, I want to congratulate Brian Hitch on twelve issues in a row. Yes, um, yes, this, definitely. This was totally supposed to be like a twelve issue mini, um, a la like Freedom Fighters or something like that. Um, and I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's continuing. And I thought they stuck the landing. Uh, I love that the Kryptonian. Uh, guy got his moment in the sun i loved like him discovering laser eyes for the it reminded me of the tick discovering that he had pockets in his costume (laughs) uh if anyone gets that reference well well and even more uh tied to dc comics it reminded me of like sodom yat in sinestro core war oh yeah hell yeah yeah that's a good yep good pull um so that was good i not only was this clearly supposed to be a uh, 12-issue mini, but it is probably the most rebirth thing that we've had in a while, you know? Because, uh, well, depending on how you feel about what Bendis might be doing in in Young Justice, but, you know, we're, we're a year or two removed from, like, the meat of rebirth, and yet this whole, like, uh, bringing Carter's past lives together, tying them all together in a way that that makes sense, sort of simplifying a, a, a character and an origin that's been very co- overly complicated throughout the years is a very rebirth move. So in some ways, this felt like the the first uh, rebirth book in a while, you know? 
Um, does that make sense? Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit was this uh, the the issue ends with essentially all of the different reincarnations coming together inside of Carter to 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 you know help him not really it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to communicate with him like he's not going to have you know a force ghost talking to him about whatever but it seems like you know that they're they're now a part of him in some in some abstract and hard to define way until they need to define it in a future issue um but you know it it, it seems to me like it was a smart way to go about like Vince said, sort of cleaning up his continuity a little bit. I did think that it reminded me a little bit of the end of being John Malkovich, where all <laughs> the old people go into the Malkovich portal, like all at once. That's good. And he says, you know, we are Malkovich. It sort of reminded me of that. Um, I did. I did like how the the very the original Qatar uh, Deathbringer was like. Uh, so are you gonna? You gonna go get that booty and yeah. <laughs> and Carter's like, man, you know, you know, I'm <laughs> all those people are watching him bone. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning again that Brian Hitch not only did twelve issues in a row, but that this is this has been the good Brian Hitch the whole time, pretty much. And not not that Brian Hitch has as as extreme a fluctuation as like uh, Philip Tan or some of the other artists we've recently sort of dogged for the same thing, but I think that sometimes Hitch's art just looks very stiff to me, and doesn't have doesn't have as much motion and uh, movement as his Hawkman stuff did, and I'm I'm really happy with how this. 12 issue series turned out and I I on one hand I'm glad it's not ending because I would like to see them do more with the character but on the other hand I think that this would be a pretty pretty nice self-contained trade to have on the shelf also and if it didn't it didn't continue I wouldn't have been upset because I feel like this set out to tell one very specific story and it told that story yeah Anything else to add before we move on to our fourth book? No, I think we're good. Okay. Last but not least, The Flash number 70, part one of The Flash year one, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Howard Porter. I have mixed feelings on this issue, guys. How so? Well, on one hand, I don't think that anything that happened in this issue told us anything new. Definitely. The, the sort Not of a thing. The sort of one bit that wasn't in a prior origin story was just the presence of August Goodhart. Was that his name? August August Hart. I thought it was just Hart. Is yeah. It August Hart, whatever. Whatever cheesy name. I, I like I like Goodhart though. I feel like, I feel like it's the, it's the same. <laughs> Basic idea. Oh man, that's um, like um, small tangent. But are are you guys familiar with that that new PS4 game, Days Gone, where the main <laughs> character is um, oh, oh, crap, Deacon 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 Saint John. Oh, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, 
That's <laughs> yes. So you play as a porn actor? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> basically, basically, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, oh. So, but having having August as 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 part of the uh, sort of the the Central City Police Department was the only part of the issue that I really felt offered anything new. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from sort of the the last page reveal, right? Um, but I just. I really like what I like Williamson and Porter together. I think they do pretty good work together, and I, I I did not I did not dislike reading this issue. I thought that everything in this issue was more or less fine. I just don't know why. Like I guess I I don't know why they're putting a pin in the overarching Flash story to tell this. I'm sure there's a reason why that is. But I don't. It doesn't really. That that reason is not revealing itself to me in a satisfying way just yet. Well, mm-hmm. you know what this reminded me of, just like one thousand percent. What's that? Um, the the Green Lantern Secret Origin arc from Johns is run. Um, that did almost exactly the same thing, where you are retelling the origin and, and hitting some of the sa- exact same beats that get shown in in the normal series. You know, like in John's series, it was always Hal's dad's plane crashing. You know, that would get shown at the beginning of, like, every arc. And for this, it's his mom dying. Um, but then you, like, hit all those beats, he gets his powers, and then there is the the wrinkle which is this this time travel future thing with the turtle who's really hot right now, you know. Um, and this future Barry, which... Have we seen him before in this run? He looks really familiar. I don't that, Or that so. design does. I think he just looks so, like a Flash Daddy. I just I really feel like we've seen that design before. In yeah, he was William he was run. Right. Yeah. What was what was that was when he went and got uh, Commander Cold from the future. And he was there. Yeah. Yep. Totally he was. That's okay. the same one. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yep. OK. I did not remember that. So this is just like the exact same thing. You know, this is like Secret Origin was there to a like have a definitive new definish, definitive eh, blah, blah, I can't talk. A new definitive Hal Jordan origin while also seeding for the Red Lantern stuff and even more so the Blackest Night stuff. Um and that's that's what Williamson is doing here. He's he's getting to do his definitive flash origin that can be an evergreen and then also setting up for something with the turtle and the still force. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of Porter's art? Oh, I love it. I, I, yeah. think, I think that was great. I thought it was great. I think if he does the art all the way through, which I don't, I mean, is that the intent? I think so. I think that's going to be great. I think that alone will justify, like, if somebody who doesn't have a lot of Flash comics wants, like, a definitive origin on their shelf, I think, you know, this would be a gorgeous one to have. Uh, just, you know, and I think I think the story's going to go some places. I, I think this is just, you know, for a few, first issue, 
there's not any real new territory mined yet. I, I think I think it'll go somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that they got the origin out of the way in the first issue mm-hmm. is a yes. great sign. Yes. We didn't have to see like we we didn't take half of the flash year one to show him like struggling to keep his life together and then stumbling onto being electrocuted and yeah yes that's good yeah yeah or even like uh, you know gosh this issue could have easily ended with the cliffhanger being him struck by lightning which sure would have been a very easy thing to do but Williamson did that had him come back let him like play around with his powers. And then, like, went as far as to have him time travel. So, it's moving at a at a quick pace. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about the single most interesting part of this issue, though. August Hart. You already met. You already. <laughs> yes. Uh, was no. uh, Frank Frank Leminski in this? No, he was. <laughs> Whoa. Sadly, Frank Leminski was not in this. Pour one out for Frankie. Um, no, the the presence of. Jay Garrick as ah, as yeah. the subject of the Golden Age comics he was reading. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's something that's clearly... Look at the... Uh, look at Doomsday Clock. Look at the covers to... One, one of the covers to one of the upcoming issues, right? It's a kid reading a, a Justice League of America book or something, right? Or, or Justice Society. I yeah. believe so, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly that's an element, I think, that Johns kind of has baked into this whole thing. Um, yeah, I think that's great. But it's something we, you know, we saw um, Jay teased in like issue six or eight, maybe. It's a long time ago. It, yeah, yeah. It- it was early. I don't. I don't know if it was that early, but it was really early. And uh, and then that just kind of went away, for obvious reasons. But it was cool to see that referenced again, and it was also cool to see it referenced in the way that it was originally intended. Like that's that's how the multi, that's how the original multiverse started, which was that the the Silver Age comp characters were influenced by the Golden Age comics they read. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see a little bit of that coming back too. Um, and again, this isn't a knock on Williamson or Porter's work. Like we said it's a fine enough issue. It just to me seems like you know, and I, I understand there's a real need for for these type of books to exist. Like Zach said, to have to give to a relatively new reader to have a, a really nice, you know, definitive version of this. Maybe actually Vince said that, and I said it out loud. And Vince will be mad at me for putting his word in someone else's mouth. Um, I think I did say it. Okay, but you know, just uh, just I understand that this is this is comics are a business, and that has to happen. I just personally feel like I would rather new ground be tread, especially from two creators who I enjoy so much, as opposed to just retelling a story yet again. Uh, I'll be honest though, my warm take is that this this issue is maybe I, I think I think this issue is maybe better than the last two arcs have been so there's that mm-hmm. I don't necessarily disagree with that 
Yeah. I also wonder if... Hmm, how can I put this? Is... This is a philosophical question I don't really have an answer to, but because The Flash has a successful TV show now, is the origin as important? Oh, no. Certainly not. Like, are, are, do you feel that way because people already know it now? And so I therefore, think so. Therefore, you don't have to educate people on it? I think so. And I also think that the origin is not one of the most interesting things about the flat you know like batman's origin is easily defined as like the the driving force of that character and i think you know they've tried to make the murder of his mom into that but it's also been they've found more resolution with that right batman's never going to batman's never going to get his parents back Right. But the Flash has in certain stories, I think, kind of resolved that that murder. Right. Uh, yes. There there have been stories where he's like, uh, I don't know if it's that way in the new 52. I don't remember how that all shook out. But but he's he solved it. Right. Like he and freed his dad. Right. That's. That's something that has happened in like in continuity stories, right? I believe so. I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, it it happened in the Flash TV show last season, right? Or two yeah. seasons ago, whatever that was. So I think it's it's a different, you know, th- Batman's origin will always be used as the driving force for for his character. I think in perpetuity. Whereas I think they they. Different writers find different inspirations or driving forces for the Flash other than his origin. That's fair. Anything else to say about this issue? Mm, I don't think so. It is pretty wild that the Flash is one of only, I think it's five books that still ship twice monthly. Mm. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. What what are the others? Wonder Woman, um, Batman, Batman, Batman Tech, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Harley Quinn. Oh man, yeah, yeah Justice so, League. Yeah. Is just no Justice League. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Still yeah, very small right. company. All right, well, we're going to take a break. And uh, actually, you know what? Let's do our lists now. Because we're doing a sort of atypical <laughs> back end of the show. Um, so our list for this week, let's see here. Let me see here. We got the good list has Shazam, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman. A nice robust good list this week. The okay list has Catwoman, Justice the Goddessy, Red Hood Outlaw, and Wonder Twins. But Vince, you wanted to quickly say something about Red Hood Outlaw, right? Yeah, I just want like I didn't like this uh, month's issue all that much, but reading it made me think because there were a bunch of returning characters. 
lots of editorial boxes telling you where to find the sort of story threads that led to this. I'm talking about like uh, Jason's time with the all cast and Susie Sue and all that stuff. And it made me think like, boy, Scott Lobdell has (laughs) against all odds, he's become like one of the definitive Jason Todd writers Mm -hmm. and he's created this like really weird sprawling meta narrative over the course of two very different volumes of this book. And not only are the two volumes very different, but they like many of the arcs within this volume are very different from one another. And yet it's all been the same writer and it's taken Jason to some very different and weird places And it almost makes me want to, like, I don't think it's good, and I don't think it's going to make me feel good about the first volume of this book that he did with the New 52. But it almost makes me want to go back and just not reread it, but maybe, like, skim through that old thing. You got that DC Universe uh, subscription there, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, yep, thank you. I appreciate that. I might just go, like, sift through that stuff and marveled over they really let Lovedell do all of this to Jason Todd, you know, with almost no connection, like very tenuous connections to anything that's going on with Bruce and the bat stuff at any given time. You know, I remember when the new 52 was first announced, the fact there was going to be a red hood book was unusual. Mm -hmm. You know, we had seen him return a few years before, but he wasn't like at that ubiquitous bat family level yet. He was still somewhat, yeah, he would, I guess he was part of the battle for the cowl, right? Well, he, yeah, he was. And he had just come off of being the, the red hood, the villain red hood. Right. Yeah. And, and Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm checking to see, I, I can't remember how many, um, issues that new 52 Red Hood got. I'm, I'm going to check that really quick. Because it stopped at some point and became Red Hood Arsenal. Let's see. So, well, it made it up to 40 as still Red Hood and the Outlaws. It made it all the way up to DCU. And then it just became Red Hood and and Arsenal. I don't think it. I don't think it kept going. Oh, you're right. It did. It did. You're right. Okay. It was. It was renumbered it, though. It was a new series. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Then it got 13 issues. So it went through the entirety of the yep. new 52. Mm-hmm. That blows my dang mind. I did not know that. Oh my gosh. So we're on the third iteration of this book. Technically, the fourth, if you want to count Red Hood Outlaw as like a separate thing. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's wild. It is. <laughs> wow. Oh, what a trip! Well, I guess I know what my next reread is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. And then just to run out our lists, the bad list. Unfortunately, has the Batman who laughs on it. Although we should say congratulations, Scott Snyder and his wife, on the birth of his new uh, his new son. Congrats. Yeah. Um, Quinn 
Elvis, I believe is his name. Nice. Oh, that's so, so Scott. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, the Sandman Universe list has House of Whispers. And that's that. So anyway, um, we will we will somewhat say our goodbyes here because uh, for our fifth book of the week, we're going to be talking about the new Vampire Weekend album, Father of the Bride. <laughs> uh, That's not a joke. No, it's not a joke. We're gonna we're gonna dedicate the, uh, the the back half of the show to talking about this album. So if you have no interest in Vampire Weekend, which you you have every right to not care, this is not a music podcast. This is. Um, you know, but we're we're indulging ourselves here. But we gave you guys a nice full length show, and now we're gonna do a little bit of this. So if you don't want to come back after the break, we understand. Uh, if you want to talk about Ezra Koenig and cultural appropriation, and uh, you know, Docker jeans, Docker pants, and uh, whatever else is gonna come up yeah. in our conversation, boat shoes, and... boat shoes, yeah. Uh... I also have a I have a deal for our listeners. Oh, what's that? Okay, go for it. We're we're only doing this because we are not paid by any to be anybody's master as far as like what we talk about. So I'm offering a deal. If any listener wants to pay our podcast ten dollars a month starting this month for me for me for me to not talk about the next time Father John Misty puts out an album, I will never mention it on the show, but you have to pay us $10 a month. We'll never do this again. Uh, I'm going to feel really bad if someone takes us up on I was going to say, let me say that Vince did not run this by us <laughs> beforehand. Um, I think okay, every now and then... do whatever we want. I think every now and then it's fine for us to go off on these little tangents. Especially because, like I said, I, we, we've given the folks, you know, just about an hour of show now, which is which is good, you know, and you know, hey, you you might you might learn about some good new music, you might hear us say something funny, who knows what's going to happen in the next however much time we talk about Father of the Bride, but that's what we're going to do now. So we shall return in just a moment with uh, a discussion of this life. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess. And I'm Nick. And we are Make Mine Multiversity, a monthly podcast discussing all things Marvel Comics. Each month we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases. We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan. The jaded longtime reader. And the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. You want to know what books made me cry this month? What books made me almost cry this month? And what books I wish would make me feel something? Check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, the fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcast, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel Multiversity. Multiversity. And uh, we are back with our discussion of, again, you didn't hear us wrong, <laughs> the new Vampire Weekend album, Father of the Bride. So um, we've talked off air before about our feelings about uh, Vampire Weekend. I, I think all of us would probably say we are bigger fans of the first and third Vampire Weekend albums, yes. correct? 
Definitely, yeah. Uh-huh. Vampire Weekend and, and modern, what's it called? Modern uh, Vampires, Vampires of the City. City. Vampires of the City, yeah. Um, Which I think is a masterpiece. I think that album is... Ew. It blew me away upon first listen. Yeah. Um, Same. I think now I would still rather listen to the first album. No. But, 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 I, but I think a lot of that... <laughs> fuck you. Zach's, Zach's uh, not allowing it. <laughs> I think a lot of that is more my nostalgia for that first album than actual, like, you know, Songcraft or whatever. That that first album I have a lot of really positive associations with. Sure. Um, you got sure. laid to it. That, we get fine. it. That's I did not get yeah, laid to yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> you fucked to it. I, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. I made love to it, please. It was a beautiful <laughs> act between consenting married people. Uh, what year did that first one come out? Oh boy! Oh six, oh eight, oh seven, oh eight. I think it was oh eight. I might have been married when that came out. It was my freshman. Yeah, it was my freshman year of college. I'm looking this up now because I'm curious. Um, I have a problem with the with the first with the first Vampire Weekend album in that whenever I hear a punk, I can only think of Step Brothers. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, funny. it's 2008. I was uh, I was married when this album came out. So, anyway, um, but yeah. So, um, I guess I-, I want us to start by ranking the Vampire Weekend releases as we feel right now. Like today, if you had to rank the four Vampire Weekend albums, where would you rank them? And uh, I'll go first because I'm springing this on you guys. Um, but I think I would still rank Vampire Weekend number one. I think I'd put Father of the Bride as number two. Modern Vampires as number three. And Contra as number four. Well, you're a madman, but... Wow. They should have you institutionalized, but... <laughs> I'm just kidding. What's yours, Zach? Oh, man. I Oh, gosh. Okay, well, I mean... Going bottom up, I would definitely say Contra than Vampire Weekend. And I still, I'm, I'm still on the fence between, between Modern Vampires and Father of the Bride. It's gonna take a while. That's what I was saying. Like I expected at all. Just like you know, as you feel right now. As I, I mean, I really, I, it's so hard. Like I, I mean, I have so many attachments to to Modern Vampires because like. I mean, it'd it'd be a whole thing, but that that album helped me with some stuff um, related to like religion and faith and stuff. Wow. So okay, it it means a lot to me. But this album's got a lot of that too. Yeah, it does, and I re- and that's why I like it too. I mean, it feels like it's completely different but it it kind of is the a, a continuation of that it's like the happy version of modern vampires in a way um and and also i really so what you're saying is this is the avengers endgame of uh yes of yes vampire yes Weekend. that was infinity war and this is this <laughs> well it's certainly that long i would say yeah oh boy oh okay, well that that was my hot take um so thank you goodbye Vince, how would you rank these albums? This did not go as I expected it to go at all. 
<laughs> what did you expect? I well, I expected exactly what I told you guys on on uh, that app um, <laughs> that we we love to use. Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to put Father of the Bride at the bottom. Really? Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. But, but don't get me wrong. I, bombs. Don't get me wrong. I like it a lot. Brian, I expected you not to like it. Why? Um, but you put it at number one, right, Brian? Number two. Number two. Number two after Which, Vampire Weekend, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That shocks me. I Yeah. Ooh, boy. Okay. So for me, it would go Father of the Bride, number four. Contra number three, uh, self-titled number two, Modern Vampires of the City number one. And I just, like, don't get me wrong, I like this album a lot. I've listened to it many times over the last few days. Um, but even Contra, which, you know, is my third favorite, what it's got going for it is its brevity. Uh you know, if there's a boring song here and there, it's they're short. Right, sure. But but I think there's a lot of highs too there. I think oh. giving up the gun might be my favorite. That's a great song. It's yeah. a good. It's a good song. I mean, I I, I like cousins a lot. That's I like fun cousins. And, I like in short. Um, I I like diplomat son on that. I feel like we've talked about that before. Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, I mean, horchata is. I, I feel like my standout, I think, on that album. Oh, see, and, and see, Horchata is why I don't like that album. Really? I like I feel like, I feel like the, first, the first stanza of Horchata is like the Weird Al version of Vampire Weekend. Oh, like, dude. What? Am no, I wrong? Like, no, no, that's great. I like, like it, though, but that's a great thing that you said. But, like, that, <laughs> that lyric sounds like... Somebody making fun of Vampire Weekend. Sure, yeah, but I mean, it might it might be him making fun of. Oh, sure, it might, it might be, be them making fun of. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. Um, but what's interesting I mean, it's is not that serious, right? Right, yeah. I think I take myself too seriously. Right, yeah. It's not that serious. It's not that serious. But what I feel like there's a really interesting thing here, and Zach kind of touched on it a little bit, is I feel like Contra is Vampire Weekend trying to outdo the self-titled record. Like, it's everything the self-titled record is, but turned up, like, 15%, right? Ooh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think See, I, 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 think think it's I too, agree with that. I think it's almost too muted for its own good. Well, because uh, there is I, nothing, like, as, there is nothing as, like, caffeinated as Cousins on Vampire Weekend. Yeah, like, is nothing, is the most, is, like, the closest yes, thing. There yeah. is nothing as self-referential, and that's hard to say because there's a lot of self-referential shit in the first album, but, like, Horchata is, like, totally, again, a Vampire Weekend song about being a Vampire Weekend song. I just feel like there's, <laughs> there are a lot of things like that on, on Contra, and I feel like, in a way, Father of the Bride is a commentary on modern vampires but the other way where this is like this learned the lessons from modern vampires whether you like it better mm -hmm. or not i feel like this is commenting on on the sort of overall tone and themes of modern vampires okay you may not like the reaction but i, I just think it's 
there's a lot. I, I like, I like, I'm with you, I think, on this. Oh, man. May, I don't know. I just, I hold that album to such a high standard that I can't look at that, that, at that way, you know? All right. I will also say this. Well, um, I, I, well, I, I will, I, I don't want to interrupt you, Brian, but I think like Ezra has come out and said almost as much that this is like, this is a response to modern vampires in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's a, what I was going to say was I feel like on the surface, I get why Vince would think I wouldn't like this because I, I think every album should be shorter <laughs> like all the time. And that this yep. is except this the is, white album, except the white the album exception that proves the rule. Sure. Uh, like any album over 40 minutes is too long for me. Um, so this is instantly like 17, 18 minutes too long. Right. And I think you could trim oh. this. I think you trim this down to like mm-hmm. ten songs, twelve songs would be even better. Um, yep. But no, that's so funny. I love when any time an album like goes past the one hour mark, uh, and like see, yes, but do it. Thing, I I love B sides and like demos. I want I want to hear all that stuff, but I don't want that as part of the album. I know that's that I'm being pedantic as fuck here, but like mm-hmm. I really want there to be a single vinyl record that I can listen to. And then there's all this extra stuff that isn't part of the album. It's like back matter. It's, that, that's what I'm thinking about it. I want this to be the comic. I want it to be back matter. Yeah. I, 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 I think I agree with you in general when it feels like there is filler. Sure. Oh, okay. there's filler on this. Anyway, let me finish. I don't think there is. Let me finish. Can I finish? Can I finish? No. Uh, that's Ross Perot for all you kids out there. Um, I'm gonna pull you off stage. You're taking too long. Yeah. yeah so um, I'll also say like I I have a real not problem is the wrong word for it. I tend to get frustrated when records have so many outside co-writers and extra producers and stuff. I just think that's usually a, that that's a sign to me of of a less cohesive Ooh. vision. Uh, and this album is like full of that. There's a Ooh, million that, co-writers and co-producers is, and all that. It that, is less that, cohesive, definitely, compared but, to modern that vampire. Fits my, that fits my nuclear take that I was talking about even better than I thought. Um, but I will say that I think that while there are, there are things on this album that stand out as like different and as whatever, I think that this is... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back from my initial assessment. I was going to say this is like Vampire Weekend's White Album in that there are all these different moods there, but it's not that diverse. But it's like, it's it's a nice, it's enjoyably scattershot, as opposed to feeling like, I don't get whiplash listening to it. Sometimes with an album like this, I get whiplash between the different genres and different tones and whatever. I don't really get that with this album. But Vince, what, what was your nuclear take? Well, it, this is uh, Vampire Weekend's white album, but it's not the Beatles' white album. No, it's Weezer's I'll white shut your album. Mouth. Get out, get out. The I, I really I, I like do... Weezer's white album. So I'm yeah, I know that's this. that's that's why I should have rethought. Because now now when you said that this is one of your favorite Vampire Weekend Weekend albums, it makes my nuclear take even better. Because there are about six songs I could trim from this thing and make it a perfect album that would stand alongside all the other Vampire Weekend ones for me. Pick, pick your and six right now. I, I will do I will do it in a second. But all the worst songs on this album, to me, for my taste, uh-huh. sound like Weezer songs to me. That's there was, interesting. There was much made about how this album 
was going to feature like some 90s-ish jam bandy type stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. People were talking about that when Sunflower came out, um, which I didn't really hear. I, I purposely I really... didn't hear any of it, yeah. Sure. And, and Sunflower, that's a song I really like, and I don't see the comparison there. But but I think it, it harkens back to a 90s band, but it's Weezer, and it's... A song like Unbearably White or a song like Flower Moon, there's parts of that song that feel like they may as well be Weezer songs. There's kind, It's kind of like the disaffected vocals. Um, the subject matter of Unbearably White is very much like a Weezer-adjacent subject matter. I think How Long is another one that could kind of sound like a Weezer song to me if I, if I stretch my my brain in that way. Um, so, but Zach, you want me to take six songs off of this album and make it perfect? Yeah. Just because I want to know if there are ones that I really like. Okay. When I, so be gentle with me because I, I have an explanation for some of this, but hold you now. I would take it off the album. I would start with Harmony Hall. I have nothing against the duets on this album. I think Married in a Gold Rush and We Belong Together are like wonderful, kitschy sort of Johnny and June songs. I think those are absolutely great. I think Hold You Now feels like filler right off the bat. When I first, I put this album on for the first time and I heard that first track and I said to myself, oh no, (laughs) I'm not going to like this. Like that is a bad foot to me to start off on and it's not that the but so- I, you said I, on twitter that you went through the vince mcmahon stages yes by the end i was falling out of my chair okay okay <laughs> but but that's why i said that like when i started off i'm like oh i don't know and then like slowly i went through the progression of the vince mcmahon faces oh see i feel like vince mcmahon though starts with like oh what is this oh okay well, okay, okay. And then- did you guys so see like- the, the thing i retweeted by the way all the crazy vince mcmahon stories yesterday Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. great. So imagine that my first Vince McMahon face is is like no no emotion at all. Okay, okay. Okay. Maybe where the gif like the the very first frame of the first gif where he's just sitting in the chair and like expressionless, okay? Harmony Hall is where he goes, "Oh." Huh? <laughs> but anyway, I take that out because to me that doesn't even feel like a, like I like the concept behind the song. I like the call and response sort of you know, it's 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 the two different singers in, in two very different situations before this wedding is going to happen, you know, this metaphorical wedding or whatever. But I think the execution is really poor. I think it's so short. It doesn't feel like a full song to me. Oh, I have an opposite take, brother. Finish up, I though. Think, I think the Thin Red Line uh, sample is completely ill-fitting and stops the song in its tracks both times. I know it's intentional. You don't have to tell me that, but like, it just does not feel like a song to me. It doesn't feel cohesive. It doesn't feel like the way that you start an album off. It doesn't feel like Vampire Weekend to me. Um, my, my reaction to that uh-huh. is it's the first song in the history of music that is two minutes and 33 seconds and should be half as long. Like, I think if you did the first half of the story as a start of the album, and then right before Jerusalem, New York, Berlin, you do the second half of the story. It's totally different. I mean, oh, maybe or good. just that'd, maybe or, like just, that. or just take it off the album entirely because I, I, 
I understand why it's there, but I but I feel like it's I just felt like it's overly long for what it is. I yeah, I mean that would make me dislike it even more, I think, because I think like You don't I think, think that would have added intrigue? No, I don't need that. I don't need intrigue. I need a good song. And I think Married in a Gold Rush and We Belong Together are good John Prine style songs. Yes. Married in the yeah. Gold Rush is, is phenomenal. Yeah, and I think Hold You Now could have been that, and I think it's a half idea. I don't see a fully formed idea there. Um, and then and then I don't really care for how long. I Everybody likes Unbearably White, but I don't. I don't like that at all. I think it's so lackadaisical and without urgency, and I don't really find the the meaning behind it too profound. I think like I think it's one of the most obvious songs on the album, so I would get rid of that. Um, real real quick about that, um, I, I I will I'll say I agree with you, but part of me kind of wants. To, so like I didn't really care for Hannah Hunt that much. Oh man, the first time, the first like when I first heard it initially, for the same reason I think is uh, like I didn't care for like how kind of like slow and lackadaisical it is, and it like definitely grew on me later on. And I'm I'm kind of wondering if unbearably white will have that, but I do think that it's too long and kind of lacks the energy to get through the almost five minutes of that song. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you ready for my hot take here? Sure, sure. Harmony Hall is tw- twice as long as it should be. No, Harmony Hall is great, though. Har- yeah. Harmony Hall is good, but it is... it uh, It's very repetitive for how long it is. Yes. But I like it a lot. I could spend five minutes with that song, though. See, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I could spend four and a half minutes... I could spend eight and a half minutes with This Life. That is one of the best... This Life pop, is great. That is one this of the best pop songs... Is very good. ...that... Ezra Koenig's ever written. Sure. Do, don't well, you think? Do you get the? Does anybody else get like, a punk vibes from the, the guitar part in that? A sure. little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It felt like a call a more melodic. To that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I want to talk about all the stuff that I like on this album a lot, but I want to get through okay, these. Get six oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what? You're at what did I do? right I did, now. You're at hold you now. Hold you now. Unbearably how, uh, white. How long? Unbearably white. Yep. Yep. I could get rid of uh, my mistake because that I've listened to this album, uh, you know, a dozen times maybe, and I don't even remember what that song sounds like. I know it's very slow, and I know it's reasonably short, but um, it, it makes no impression on me. I could get rid of it. Uh, I could get rid of Flower Moon. Um, I can get rid of how many is that? That's five. I think so. No, that's only four. No, no, it's not. No. It's um. You said hold you now. Said, how long? Yeah, unbearably white. white. My mistake. My mistake. And flower moon. That's five. That's yeah, five. Wait, where's hold the you na- Hold you now. How long? Oh, um, I, I missed how white. long. The, I missed how long the first. Yeah, time I, I know it's not very memorable. I I I get it. <laughs> no, I missed you saying it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and. To be honest, I'm not a fan of Jerusalem, New York, Berlin. Oh, fuck you. I, I think, I think again, that's too obvious of a... That's too obvious of a note to strike, but... but, but I, I think it's a beautiful I, ending to the album. I think, spring, I think Spring Snow ends the album beautifully. Oh, it could I, stop there. I, I think... I mean, again, like, 
I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because it is towards the end of the album. I I would say like my least my three least favorite songs on the album right now are Unbearably White, My Mistake, and Spring Snow. Oh man, okay. See, I I listened to the album like maybe three or four times, so a lot of the songs are sort of blending together in in my mind, you know. But to me, the 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 mark of a strong album is there are certain songs that I listened to the album for the first time on Saturday. I was, was on an airplane. I listened to it, and I uh, like as soon as it was over, I could have sung like four songs back to you, hearing them mm. once, and that's really rare. That's that's a sign of like really well crafted songs. Um, but I I don't particularly care for Sunflower or Flower Moon. Mm, I okay. like Sunflower. They're okay. They're they're all right. Um, Sympathy has a really jarring beginning to it. Like I feel like just coming from my mistake, it's a really, it's just a very, it's like probably the loudest intro to a song, right, on the album. It's it's probably the song that goes hardest out of yeah. As I mean, like you know, yeah. And so I was really taken aback by that, but I like that song a lot. Oh, it rocks. But it was it was a very jarring transition there. Wait, which song? Sympathy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to me, the, this life to big blue is the best one to punch on the album. Um, I mean, I'd say Harmony Hall to big blue is a great stretch of four songs. Bambina, Bambina rocks too. And that's nice and short. Nice and short. You're in and you're out. Yeah. Yeah. Big blue also. Those are both under two minutes long. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. This life is great, yeah, Brian. I agree. That's that's a great. That's the one, one of the one me. of the best songs. Yeah. Um, sympathy, sympathy is the one that caught me immediately, and and it was the one that made me see a lot of this is like, okay, this doesn't sound, this doesn't sound like classic Vampire Weekend, and I I'm not sure I like that. Sympathy doesn't sound anything like Vampire Weekend, and I love it. For see, that. I think this sounds a lot like Vampire Weekend. This album. Mm, I don't know. I don't. I... So like so what what I was gonna say before too is I feel like one of the reactions again like not a reaction against but one of the things that really jarred me when I first listened to Modern Vampires was the pitch shifting that happens in Die and Young where like the the baby babies where it's like it's just it's a very computerized like dropping the voice real low bringing the voice real high just like sort of computer trickery to his vocals. And there's a couple of spots on Modern Vampires where I feel like there are things like that, where it's like, it's cute tricks that are there to elicit emotion instead of the music or the vocals doing that. I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. I just mean it's another it's another way to get the point across, where they'd never really done that before. And I think on this album, they don't do that at all. Like I think everything is much more straightforward here, in terms of just how the the basics of the songs are presented, and I appreciate that because I think the songs are, I think these are better written songs than the Modern Vampire songs. I I would mm. argue that they that they did some of that on Contra though too, some of that like vocal trickery. Yeah, and I, I don't um, like that. <laughs> okay, okay. I, 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 as long as we're not saying it's like an exclusive. No, I, I guess I'm saying I felt like it predated. See, I, vampires. I feel like it was on the periphery of Contra, 
Whereas I feel like it's it's more out front on modern vampires. Like the first single was Diane Young. Right. And that's like really pronounced in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interestingly, probably man, yeah, Diane Young might be my least favorite song on that album. Oh I, man, that's like crazy. I it. love that if song. I'm just looking over it's... it. If I I mean like I love every song on that album. See, that's also but the album I know the least. least favorite one. That's the album I know the least. Even though I like it, I didn't sit with it as long as I sat with the other ones. Oh man, that that album can make me cry. Oh, oh, it does every time. Well, oh man. Oh gosh, there's this that stretch. Oh man, no. Every song on that album is good. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Yeah, uh, Rich Man, I like a lot on this one. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of got like a stomping like jug band feel almost. But I love I love the, I love the lyrical themes in that one. What's what's the line? Uh, uh, someone, what? something about something about uh, one in ten rich men is a satisfied mind, and I'm the one. Yeah. Yeah, I love well, it's, that. It's a super simple concept, just like going further and you know by powers of ten mm-hmm. down the line to a billion, and um, you know, so I saw a thing. I don't, I don't know if I buy into this, but you have those three songs right next to each other. How long, unbearably white, which rich man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, that's it's, funny. It, it is funny. I don't I guess, know. I guess you can't take how long out then. Yeah, I mean that. That's <laughs> the thing. Okay, because I wanted to get into how I kind of think that this album is broken up into sections. I think that there is like a clear sense of design here. Um, I I think from Hold You Now through Big Blue, you have this this section and then you get that trilogy of songs there and then you get the next duet that kind of marks a change and then you get that string of songs that's kind of like it's like steve lacy's not on all of them but i kind of think of them all from like my mistake through 2021 as like having a there's an experimental yeah yeah, there's like a through line going on there and then you get the next duet the last duet and then the last three songs are much more traditional vampire weekend kind of like the first section is mm-hmm. um in fact i almost think that if you i think that you could cut out i wouldn't do this but i think that from my mistake to 2021 is almost kind of like an ep oh sure yeah oh yeah I see that yeah. And, the, and then the rest would be kind of like more so the typical album. Yeah, that's oh man, you're good, Zach. I don't, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, there's some songs I really love that I would trade other ones for, but that's a, that's a really interesting idea. And then I almost thought like, what if you made an EP that was just, um. Ezra and and, and uh, Daniel Heim doing doing duets and you take those out of here, then you're left with a very different album too. 
Yeah, which I wanted to talk about that. I've seen a lot of um, a lot of dissatisfaction with, I guess, the the country western vibe of the oh. album that is mostly brought out in the Daniel Heim songs. I'm not even opposed to that stuff. Oh, like, I love it. Yeah. Um, there, I feel like, especially in um, Myriad in a Gold Rush and We Belong Together, I was getting maybe Brian will appreciate this some like heavy Iris Demand vibes. I'm not familiar. She sings Let the Mystery Be. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. And she does a lot of like she's done a lot of duets with John Prine and stuff. Oh okay. Um, very very good stuff. Um So yeah, I I loved I you guys will probably hate me for this, but I think Married in a Gold Rush is my least favorite of the three duets. Oh, God, it's so really wrong. good, but I, I think I like Hold You Now and We Belong Together Better. See, okay, one of the things that I find really interesting about this album is, like, this, this ex- these all these extra producers on everything. It's really interesting to me that each of the three duets are produced by a different combination of producers. Mm -hmm. Because to me, those all sound reasonably similar. Like, there are differences there, but those are very much a piece, right? Would you guys agree? And I don't don't really hear Rostam's uh, influence on We Belong Together either. No, no. We're going to talk about Rostam in a minute. Um, I miss him. (laughs) Well, see, I don't don't feel like... I don't know how he would have fit into this album. Oh, Madonna. It doesn't matter. It's... No, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a good thing or a bad thing. I just, I, It's hard to hear this album and try and pick up on where he would fit in. That's all. Um, but no, I, I I mean, I do need more time with this album. I really do. This was a, oh, this weekend I, I was uh, I was traveling for, for most of Saturday. And so I listened to a bunch of albums. And this is the one of the albums I listened to that really stood out to me. And so every day since, I think I've played it at least once. So I think, yeah, four times I've listened to this album so far. And I still feel like there are songs I couldn't tell you. I mean, to be honest with you, like by the time we get to We Belong Together, I feel like that is the duet I'm least cognizant of. Mm. Um, you know, but I'm... I'm Pots and re- cans, bottles and cans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really... I mean, I definitely, I'm I'm aware of it. I guess I, I have the least amount of opinions about it, is what I should say. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see what this means for Vampire Weekend going forward. Because we got those first three records in a relatively short time frame. I want to say it's like 08, 10, 13, maybe? I think that's right, yeah. Or 08, 10, 14, maybe? No, it's 13. 13? Okay. The one I was I wasn't sure about Contra, but yeah, Contra twenty ten, yeah, okay, yeah, and then there's a six year gap. They they released three albums in the time it took them to get to this one. Um, and I wonder if this will start another chain of of relatively quick releases, or if we're gonna get these long protracted periods in between again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd certainly welcome more music. That's for sure. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I don't dislike this album. I'm just dis. I. 
you 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 see where the cuts could be. Or at least I do. I see where I would make the cuts, and and I, but the thing about me is that I'm not, I don't really skip songs on when I listen to albums. Same. Yeah. So I'm, Same. So I'm, yeah. So I'm, so I'm just gonna be sitting here like wishing the album were shorter while I'm listening to it. Sometimes. <laughs> the only band I skip songs for is I, I think I told you guys this before. Uh, every two Weezer albums, I make a um, a compilation of just the good songs. Wow. <laughs> so I after Maladroit, I've I've combined all the Weezer albums in two album pairs. You have a CD compilation of every good Weezer cut. <laughs> yes, essentially. <laughs> um, LCD sound system. Yes, uh, but no, I I am I am very excited to dig deeper into this album. Um, uh, one one I would recommend if you haven't spent a lot of time with it is Stranger near the. Near I the was end gonna there. say I think that's the I think that's the like dark horse of this album the oh, like yeah. most underrated one. Definitely, that is a beautiful song. It's really good. So I was having this debate, and it wasn't about Vampire Weekend with a friend of mine. We were debating what band has the best singles of all time. And it it was like the criteria was that when you get this band's album, the whole album's good, but the singles are the best songs on it. Wait, the whole album has to be good? Or most of it's good, you know, but it's like it's not a band that's just a singles band. ACDC like... is a singles band. <laughs> that's yes. what I was thinking. No, but like – um. Uh, who was the argument? Like, my friend actually said Talking Heads is a good example of that. How like, mm. and I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily disagree because some of my favorite Talking Heads songs are the singles, but I think that there are better songs. But anyway, but my point was that I think Vampire Weekend is a really good example of that, where I like, I like all of their songs, but on most of their albums, the songs they choose for singles are the best songs on their albums. And I, I think, think, go ahead. I think I think that was true until this album. For maybe, me. maybe, yeah. For me, but maybe not for you. Is, but this life is one of the singles, and to me, that right. that is by far the standout track on the album. But yeah, Big, Big Blue and uh, Unbearably White were singles too, and th- those are two that I care for less. I, I also so, think they that, were singles, but they were almost kind of the B side of the single. If uh, it's kind of the yeah. way I. Well, that's, what, I, what I was going to say is like singles in 2019 mean nothing, you know. So right, it's it's, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, I, I on all of those kind of two song releases, I viewed the first song as kind of the the main one, and the second one as the okay, yeah, the beat side. All right, but yeah, then it then it stays true, I guess. Um, I oh. Uh, yeah, of those, I, I, of that release schedule though, I still think this life is probably the best one. But that Harmony Hall 2021 combo, yeah. was maybe the most effective. So I didn't listen to any of these songs before listening to the whole album. Okay, um, is an interesting way to do it. Something I thought about that I didn't mention yet, um, that I did want to say, is after maybe my first or second listen of this, and I, I don't know if I think this as much now, but maybe I do. I came away with 
the conclusion that this felt less like a Vampire Weekend album and more like a Vampire Weekend time collaboration album. Mm. Like it, it felt like a it it was like the the Watch the Throne or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's all over this. She's, you know, she's, there's, the, she's there's on Harmony Hall. I, I was just, yeah, I've got it. She's on nine of the songs on the mm-hmm. album. Um, See, I was going to say that I felt like in some ways this isn't a Vampire Weekend album. This is a Ezra solo album. Well, mm-hmm. that works too. Yes. Yeah, you're definitely right. And I mean that kind of positively. I don't, I don't particularly think that the Vampire Weekend rhythm section is all that creative. Um, like, and that, and that's partially. I saw them on the Contra tour, and came away from it like, oh, Ezra and Ross and and, and, and Ross is like, those are the, those are, that's it. Like, I don't give a shit about the other three guys. Um. Um, but anyway, I was gonna say I, I think that like I think that specifically the bass playing on this album is way better than any prior Vampire Weekend record, and I just felt like if it sounded to me like it was a different bass player. I know it isn't, but it sounded like that. It's a lot more fretless playing on it. Hmm. I I I do miss Rostam though. Like I think there's there's stuff that he threw into those first three albums that. You know, Brian, like you said, these hold up maybe better as songwriters' songs because of those tricks they're missing, you know? But mm-hmm. to me, that's like half of Vampire Weekend, you know? Sure. Um, and I and I do miss that. And I would understand that, you know, maybe that's not everybody's cup of tea or they don't necessarily miss it in exchange for this. But, you know... I feel like I feel like this is almost too straightforward in time at times. That's why I like that section that Zach said could get pulled out and made its own EP. Uh, if you did that, everything else would be a lot more conventional and it might make more sense as an album, but I would really miss those four or five tracks that get a little more experimental. Even though I don't care for Flower Moon all that much, there's something different about it that that makes it unique on this album. And so like, yeah, on the one hand, if I'm, if I'm picking the 12 songs that I like the most flower moon leaves, but if I'm talking about like a variety of songs, I guess you kind of need that in there. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I just, ah, I miss Rostam. It's certainly good, though. I mean, I'm going to be listening to this album all year, and I'm sure it'll make my my infamous top thirty at the end of the year <laughs> somewhere. But yeah. I um I did want to talk about two quick things before we wrap this up. The first is I read this really great article that was written a couple years ago, actually, about Vampire Weekend. Somebody had given them shit for cultural appropriation, and that that's certainly not the first time that 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 has been sort of levied at them, you know, I think it's pretty easy to pick on, like, four white guys from Columbia University doing... But they're not, but they're not really 
four white guys. I mean, they are. Well, but... Sorry, but that, that's but I'm, I'm, that I'm actually that's part of my point. I'll get to it in a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just like how there's this image of these like these privileged, you know, upper middle class white kids playing, you know, stealing African rhythms and all this. And this article was saying like that's that's the idea of Vampire Weekend, except that that's not the reality because there's an Iranian American in the band. And how it's just like there's been this whitewashing of the band because it's easier to criticize them if they're like if they're just cultural appropriators grabbing from everywhere and not taking into account the actual reality of the band. And they all the other point that I really liked about this article, and I, I if I can find the article again, I will put it in the the post for this episode. Was they said that like when you think about the people who were harshest on. Ezra and not I don't mean harsh it's like obviously somebody who's a fan of corn is not going to be digging vampire weekend right but it was like within the music writer community and sort of the 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 blogs and you know Twitter and all that the people the, the complaints against him were made by people for whom if he wasn't a musician they would really like him like the example was given like if you go to a dinner party and you met this guy who had a really interesting record collection and who could talk to you about different cultures and different music and all of that and do so while winking and smiling and generally not taking himself all that, you know, taking himself too seriously, he'd be like the most interesting guy at the dinner party you were at. But because he was doing it through music, everybody kind of judged him on that. And I found that to be a really interesting and compelling discussion of, of his music. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that is interesting. Um, but yeah, I do wonder if losing Rostam is going to is going to change the conversation around the band too. I Although don't I think, know. I I, I think, think he'll that's... always be a part of it to some degree, producing yeah, and, things, whatever. And I think that conversation will always kind of exist, but I also think it's kind of settled at this point. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Somebody, somebody's always going to bring it up, but it's been eleven years, and it is what it is. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, until he like comes out on the stage like uh, Adrian Brody in in <laughs> in, in Rasta gear on Saturday Night Live and says "Respect my neck." Um, you know, the the conversation is going to just be what it is. Just wanted to call out that I appreciate hilarious, hilariously out of touch moment yes. from SNL's past. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Um, do we feel good about this? I want Zach to have the last word. Yeah. Why do I have the last word? When, and what do we feel good about? Because like, he's a good uh, Vampire Weekend boy. Like I don't think that's true. Do we yes, feel good about the album? Do we feel good about our conversation around the album? I mean, I I feel good about it. Um, I think I think talking this out just in this little bit, um, which I'm still in that increase, the immensely volatile stage right now. I I I do think I'm gonna come away think liking Modern Vampires better than this album, but I I would I feel like this could be a safe number two. That's good. I mean, they just 
have a, a strong discography across the board. I think it's it, it's 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 tough for me not to like them, you know, yeah. no matter what they do. It's interesting you say that though. I would not be surprised if this was the last good one. I I I am maybe with you. I maybe wouldn't be surprised if this was the last one. That that is also true. But I, I feel like Vince, you were saying, you know, there were certain trends on this that you weren't a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I I liked those things because they were they were there in moderation. If they leaned heavier into those things next time, I it may not work for me. Sure. Yeah. Well, th- this was fun, guys. Yeah. Should do this kind of thing more often. Yeah. The yep. Next, so Join us see. next week when the, the uh, next the next Kanye album, Carly Rae Jepsen comes out next week. Yeah. So also the National on the same day. Oh, I don't. I don't really listen to the National. That oh, much. You I was. I was gonna say both of those bands are bands Vince likes way more than I do. Yeah. Um. I. I think we should go through all of the new pornographers' discography one day. Well, actually, that was <laughs> what I was going to say before. Was that I have this new pornographers theory where every other album refines the album before it and makes it better, and I feel like Vampire Weekend does the opposite of that. Where like the oh, odd the odd numbered albums are the unique ones, and the even number ones are trying to catch up to the ones before it. Whereas like I think I don't think it's arguable in my you know in my galaxy brain here that like <laughs> Electric Version is better than Mass Romantic, Challengers yeah. is better than Twin Cinema. I think after that ooh, is just fall apart ooh. a bit. Challengers is I think that's true is far and away yeah. better than Twin Cinema. Um, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, but then, <laughs> but, but then I, I I think that like uh, I think um, together is better than either of the ones after together, the last two. Yeah, I think that's true, um, and I think real Bru- bruisers is better than whiteout conditions. I don't know about that. I I miss Behar on whiteout conditions. Do you think that? But I think that uh, I think that Carl's songs are better on whiteout conditions than they are on Bro. Hmm. We're, we might know. have to do, we might have to do some podcasts about this. This might have to be some Patreon content. <laughs> I also I also think that we could. This is just a theory I have. Okay. Oh boy. But I think on average, maybe I may be wrong. We would need to research it scientifically. <laughs> I think I skew more towards the AC Newman songs. I think Vince is a Nico K stan, and I yeah. think. Brian is is Behar. I think you got it. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, okay, first of all, to me, that's a false narrative because Carl Newman <laughs> writes the Nico Case songs, so you can't you can't uh, like she's she's not a songwriter in the new pornography. Well, I don't think Zach is speaking strictly as no, but I I think of, I I tend to think of things from songwriting versus vocals. Um, and and honestly, I am not the biggest Behar fan. I don't. I don't know you. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I think you're lying about yourself. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'll say this. I'll say that there's there's a Behar song per album that is among my like top two or three. Uh-huh. But I there's also a Behar song per album, except for Challengers, that's in my <laughs> bottom three of a. Of a really? Game. Yes. That's 
you also have to weigh that against just how much of each album is AC Newman. It's most of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's nine all but like three or four. Yeah. 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 Um, but like Challengers, I think the three Behar songs are amazing. It's uh, Spirit of Giving. It's Myriad Harbor. And what's the third one? Entering uh, um, White Cecilia? Is that Challengers? No. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. White yes, Cecilia. Is. Yep. 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 That's my least favorite of those three. Um, okay. I like I, Cecilia. Yeah. Um, um, it's very dirty. <laughs> um, but like you know I, i'll say my favorite new pornographer song is a behar song yeah testament to Houston verse yeah. right yeah. yeah look what look what i know about you <laughs> that was that was the hardest i've ever cried in public i think <laughs> when i saw them with behar and nico do that song uh-huh it was just it. see bleeding heart show does that to me every time I, that's an amazing song too yeah that's like an all that's in like an indie all-timer like yeah. that's up there with you know wake up and yeah. yeah which which literally wakes me up every single day wake up that's my alarm <laughs> that's awesome that's great yeah. i don't hate that song though because it wakes me up every morning <laughs> 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 all right we're gonna have to do this i'll i'll be honest i have i oh, i've maybe never listened to mass romantic all the way through oh man maybe get, a, get on that yeah, I mean, I've listened to all of it in bits and pieces, but I just like, I came to them later. I think I started listening to new pornographers during Challengers and then went back to Electric okay. Version and Twin Cinema, but could never really get into Mass Romantic ever. Well, see, Mass Romantic is before they had Kurt Dahl, their drummer, who I love, who left after Brill Bruisers. Um, but to like that first album, I feel like has has less good drums on it. Um, but I I got into them during Electric Version. Um, so that was always my favorite. And although I think now I've become more of a Challengers guy than Electric Version. But those are my those are my top two without question. This says Kurt Dahl was on Master Manic. He doesn't play on all of it. He plays on some of it, I think. Oh okay, all right. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. I could yeah. Be wrong. There's other drums on here too. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Fisher Rose. Yeah, um, I I, back... I also think my oh sorry I mean interrupt you. I was just no that's all right. I was just gonna say the back half of Master Manic is tough to remember. Um, yeah, a, but the front Mar- half is the quite Mary good. Martin show and stuff on the back half. Yeah, uh, but the, the, I, any... I was gonna say I I think my 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 theory carries over into solo stuff too. Into what? So, into their solo stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm a for huge, I'm a bit, Nico. huge Nico guy. So am I. Are you a Destroyer guy? Uh, I like. There's one Destroyer album I adore, and there's is a that couple... one with the gray cover. Yes. Yeah. Is oh. that is because... that Rubies or no? Um, no, it's it oh, with Chinatown. Oh, oh. Okay. The first song of Chinatown. What's the name of that fucking album? Yeah. What? Oh, that's an all-time album. That's like. Yeah. I see that cover and I instantly get uh, like a acid flashback. <laughs> Um, is it? It came out in like the the teens, the early teens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kaput, kaput, kaput. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gorgeous. But when I I saw Destroyer in like o two or o three in New York and didn't get it, like that was when I felt like he was doing his really like over the top Bowie impression thing. 
It's very jazzy. Which one? Uh, Des- Destroyer in general. Yeah, but the, the earlier Destroyer stuff I felt like was really like a Bowie thing. Okay. And I just felt like he's not as good as Bowie, so why is he trying to do Bowie? I don't get it. <laughs> and then eventually I came around a bit. But no, I of the solo stuff, Nico, then Destroyer. Then, I, don't, I think Carl's solo albums are, are uneven. I would agree, but I think that the best songs on there are on par with his new pornographer's work. See, to me, all the best songs in there, I just want to hear his new pornographer songs. Well, what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to need to do, like, uh, maybe maybe once every six weeks or so, we do one of these. Back <laughs> Why not? Who, who gives a fuck, right? Yeah. Let's just do it. Yeah, well, this... This All right, Matt. Been... Zach. Zach has a month and a half to listen to Master Manic until he can't stand it anymore. I'll do it. All right. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so the next one of these we'll do. Should we do? Should we make our new pornographer's greatest hits album? Our twelve-track greatest hits new pornographer's album. I see. I don't. I I don't like to break up albums if I can help it. I mean, if it's a a band like Weezer who can only produce half an album's worth of content every time, then I'll do it. But yeah. So so how do we want to do this then? We need to go album by album. I think think that's, that's what Zach wants. I I can't, I I feel like new pornographers albums are so concise and unique in their, in their tone and what they're doing. If you move, if you put songs from different albums together, you just have some kind of Frankenstein monster that, (laughs) That's right. I'm with you. That thinks the fire is bad. <laughs> fire <laughs> bad. Okay. Oh, All right. Well, then then we'll, we'll do our rankings of the new pornographers albums then. Oh, we could definitely do that. I could do that for you right now. I think. No, we're you're doing that in six weeks for us. Okay. Okay. So, well, th- thanks for listening, folks. We're sorry if this bored. Actually, I'm not sorry if it bored you. No, Fuck don't, you. don't Whatever. apologize for this. Uh, th- this is super fun. I apologize to the wolves. I, I feel like this is maybe the most masturbatory thing we've ever done, and we did a commentary for Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> but that was something we didn't want to do, and yeah, we right, forced exactly. ourselves to do. This was something we very much wanted to do. Literally, a half of a dozen people wanted us to do that. So yes, exactly. <laughs> Hang on, talk amongst yourselves. I'm looking something up. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute here. Yeah, did you see these Marvel teases, by the way? Have you seen these? No. <laughs> no, what? Uh, is it just like the creator names thing? Yeah, or? yeah. Have you seen that? I, I saw the one that was Wade and Cassidy, and then the one that was Eric Larson. I think that's all. Yeah, Eric. Okay, Joe Hill and Mike Alred. Oh. Uh, Al Ewing and George Perez. Everybody's favorite uh Crypto uh, conspiracy theorist Brad Meltzer and Julian Totino Tedesco. Oh. J. Michael Straczynski and Ed McGinnis. Uh, you saw the Wade Cassidy one. Walt Simonson. Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas and Jeffrey Vereggi. And Eric Larson. Okay, let Very me just, intriguing. Let me just say something, okay? Okay. So I I don't really check our statistics after the first month per episode really? because I don't know who's listening to an episode like randomly, you know, 3 months from now or whatever. But 
that Watchmen episode has been listened to over 600 times. <laughs> and that blows my mind. <laughs> oh, boy. 600 or more people listen to us watch the sex scene inside. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's presuming they made it like two hours into it, <laughs> which they may have bailed by then. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Zach? Oh, yeah. I'm the only <laughs> other one who's on Twitter. <laughs> I'm <at> Box. <laughs> How long have we been doing this now? Uh, if you if you want to find Vince, you can find him uh, raging at. Uh, Ezra Koenig for his domineering view on the new Vampire Weekend album and not taking into account his former bandmates and their uh, their tastes. I, okay. Whatever you say. Uh, uh, I like the album. Yeah, we all do. Well, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time without any music talk. We promise. Maybe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. If you pay us ten dollars, <laughs> you know what to pay us. Or you pay me. You. Just Vince, then. <laughs> uh, if only he had a Twitter account to send him money through. I have a Venmo account. <laughs> it's at the Joker Man. <laughs> but it's not anymore, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Spice up my life a little bit. That's exactly what that Spice Girl song Spice of Your Life is about. That's about, yes, it's about. Right. about. Oh. Every boy and every girl. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it's about anal stuff.